chapter 26. chapter 26 from beginning to end verse 1 says and it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest saying take the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Israel. Take the sum, verse 2 says, take the sum, or get the numbers, get the numbers. They're numbering the children of Israel. They named the book Numbers because some wasn't quite as catchy. Take the sum. Verse 33. There's these fun names again. And Zelophehad, the son, I'm going to call him Heifer, had no sons but daughters. The names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mela and Noah. We won't call her Hogla. We'll call her Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. Verse 51. Told you we were skipping. These were numbered of the children of Israel, 600,000 and 1,730. Verse 63. These are they that were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. But among these there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said unto them, they will surely die in the wilderness. There was not left a man of them save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. We could call this several different things tonight. But I'm probably just going to talk. Interceding for the inheritance. Interceding for the inheritance. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord tonight in Jesus' name. God, we love you. God, I thank you for your people who are faithful to your house. God, I thank you for your word. I want your will to be done. God, I want to be the man of God they deserve tonight. God, I pray you'd anoint my mind, anoint my spirit, anoint my lips. 
God, your word is already anointed. Lord, I pray that you would help me help somebody tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. The book of Numbers is at times tedious to read through. At times it is a chore to plow through the begats and the listing of the lineages. We find something interesting, or I found something interesting in Numbers 26 as I was reading there today that the plague that had brought, been brought about by the sin had been stopped by Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, who had been high priest. The plague is stopped, and now God is commanding Moses to take the number, to perform a census. This was before they could check in on a smartphone. This was before they had a pencil or an ink pen. This is before they had a legal tab or a legal pad of paper. Some of our kids don't even know what that is. They didn't have graph paper. But God said, go count a nation. Go count a nation. And I find it interesting. There is a, an undercurrent. It's Numbers 26 and Numbers 27 that you find permeating the lineages of the children of Israel. And it's not in what was done in their fathers. It's not what we know to have happened in Numbers 15 and 16, 17 with rebellion and poor choices. Uh, let, me, let me break it down to you this way. And I said I'm going to talk and I'm, I'm really just going to talk. Uh, God told Moses to go number the people, take a census. We just read in Numbers 26 that none of the people who are numbered except for Joshua and Caleb, none of the people who are, are being numbered by Moses and Eliezer, grandson of Aaron, were counted in the previous census. When was the previous census taken. It was taken 40 years prior. Taken by Moses and Aaron as they come out of the land of Egypt and they make the approximate 7 to 11 day journey from Egypt to the banks of the Jordan. And they are in the plain of Sinai. None of those men None of that entire generation are there except for Joshua and Caleb and Moses. But Moses 
is getting ready to die. In fact, the Bible says that God took Moses in a good old age. There was no dimness in his eye. In other words, he still had life left to live. But it's another message in and of itself. But you begin comparing the numbers from the first census to the numbers of the last census, and they are almost, Brother George, almost identical. Forty years apart. There's something like a 1,820-person difference between the first census and the last. When you're working in the kingdom of God, doing things that God tells you to do, there's not much of a margin of error. Moses did not take the census on a tablet. I mean, a smart tablet. He did not have an iPad. They could not check in by tribe and family and household. There was no Tabernacle Center app that they did family devotions on and kept a prayer log and all that fun stuff that we get to do. So Moses was accurate, he and Aaron, and he and Eliezer. And it's almost as if, hear the sarcasm here, it's almost as if God had a specific number in mind. He knew I want this many people to be here the second time because they have the same choice to make as the first group. Now, the children of Israel, when they lived in Egypt and were under bondage and slavery, the Bible tells us that they multiplied. The more the pressure was on, they multiplied. It wasn't so in the wilderness. They entered the wilderness with one number of people, and they exited the wilderness with one number of people. 1,820, I believe, different. That struck me. That struck me. God, what am I doing with my wilderness. Numbers 26, we see the permeating concept, precept, whatever we want to call it. We see it begin to show in Numbers 26 and verse 11. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. You've heard me preach about it before. But I found it interesting that even though Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 princes come against Moses and Aaron, even though the ground opens and swallows the household, the tents 
of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. There is fire, literal fire, that falls from heaven to consume 250 princes and their families, all that were congregated with them, that the sons of Korah had said, you know what, Dad? You're on your own. That Dathan and Abiram's children had congregated and attached themselves to the vision of their parents. But Korah's sons stepped back. He said, Dad, we don't want to be a part of whatever it is you've got going on. We want something better. Now, you read through the book of Numbers chapter 26 and the 600,000, and we'll say change. We're not talking about money, we're talking about people, but the numbers there. Those people did not include the Levites. Every other tribe was to have physical inheritance. The tribe of Levi said no, or God said no, they're not going to have part of that. They've got a different inheritance. They're going to be used for my kingdom. They're going to be used for my glory. They're going to be used to usher the people into my presence. And so Korah, being of the tribe of Levi, should have known that, but his kids did. To Dad, we want to be part of something bigger than just earthly responsibility. We want to be part of an inheritance that goes beyond just what you can see. It goes beyond a linen ephod. It goes beyond the Urim and Thurim. And it goes beyond the fancy hat. And it goes beyond the big words. And it goes beyond the blood of bulls and of goats and turtle doves. It goes beyond a brazen altar and a brazen laver and a table of showbread and a golden candlestick and a, 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 an ark of the, the testimony with its cherubs and and all of those things, and it goes beyond the veil, and it goes beyond the badger skins, and it goes beyond the ringlets, and the, all of those things that we understand now are types and shadows, but it goes beyond just the physical layout. It goes beyond a physical role, and it's something supernatural, and it's something that is greater than physicality and nature and the natural things that pertain to this earthly life to begin to see that exposed numbers 26 land is being divided by lot to each tribe and their family numbers 26 god is having moses number the men who were of of age 20 years old and upward who were able to go to war. That's the 600 and some thousand. And so, God's setting them up for their inheritance to be divided to them. The Bible tells us that there's this guy, verse 33, Zelophehad, son of Hefer. 
Potiphar, who had no sons. Understand that the law was set up so that a man's possessions would be divided in different quantities. Again, it's another message, another time. To his sons. The eldest would get more than the youngest. But the, the main importance was there needed to be someone who could carry the father's name into the next generation. That person was then entitled to the inheritance. But this man had no sons. He would have grandchildren if his daughters would get married, but he would not have anyone to carry his name. And his daughters seemed to have an understanding of this. And like it was with the children of Korah, who seemed to have a grasp on more than just what was going on around them. These five young ladies had a grasp on more than what was just going on around them. I believe that it's this grasp of what was going on around them and more beyond what they could see, what was, what was to be in the Spirit. I believe it's, it's that viewpoint that drove their language in chapter 27 and got God's attention. Verse 63, these that were, these are they which were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. They are literally days away after the time of mourning, weeks away from crossing the Jordan River. They're closer right now than they have been in 40 years. Among them there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said unto them, or of them rather, they shall surely die in the wilderness. There was not left a man of them save Caleb and Joshua. We find inserted into all of this, inserted between the numbering of the children of Israel and what's getting ready to be their launch into the promised land. They're in, in the middle of all of this, there's going to be a shifting of leadership from Moses to Joshua. But God thought, or God knew that it was important enough to tell us about the five daughters of Zelophehad. You see, these five young ladies... We might expect them that, well, they're, they're women living in a man's day. And they were. 
they were. They had been heirs to Egyptian slavery. They had been put under a law that at the time frequently favored men. You might think that these ladies would react by keeping silent, by accepting it to be natural, the rules declared by Moses and God regarding the giving out of the inheritance. Well, it's just what it is. We're just going to have to take it. We're just going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to believe that when we get married, we're going to have an inheritance under our husband's name, so on and so forth. We might expect these women to have stayed close to their tents, to remain out of sight and not to go far from their families. But in Numbers 27 and verse 1, it says, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Manasseh, down the line, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. These are the names of his daughters. And it gives us these names. But the first two words tell us a little bit about these ladies. Obviously, they had gotten together and they had conferred amongst themselves, what are we going to do? We've heard the proclamation of Moses from God that this is how it's going to be. What are we going to do? We understand what happened several chapters ago. We understand the consequences that could be facing us. We don't want to be like Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Obviously, their spirits were much different. We also cannot afford to be silent. They came. They came forward. Not in a spirit of rebellion. Not in an attitude of egotistical jesting. Not in meanness. Not seeking vindication. Not coming to tell Moses something he did not already know. But together they came out of the tents without being called by anyone to the place where historians describe was just outside of the veil, just outside of the place where only the high-ranking men would congregate to the place where uh, Aaron's rod that budded was contained. The tables of stone containing the law, the container of manna were resting inside the ark just around the corner, just beyond the veil, the place of holiness, the place of authority. That's where they were congregated and that's where they came. And that's where they stood. Before Moses and before Eliezer the priest 
before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation saying, not only did they come, elder, not only did they stand there, they opened their mouth and began to speak to the man of God. What did they speak, pastor? I don't believe it was just the fact that they came that got God's attention. I don't believe it was just the fact that they stood. I don't believe it was just the fact that they spoke. But I believe that what came out of their mouths was absolutely vital to what happened next. They said, our father died in the wilderness. He was not company to those gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. He died in his own sin. He didn't die regarding anybody else's sin. He didn't play games with anybody else's sin. If there was sin in his life, it was his own sin. He wasn't party to Korah and Dathan and Abiram. He wasn't party to the 250 princes. He was not party to the rebellion. He was not party to the plague. He died in his own sin. But he had no sons. I believe that verse 4 is what pushed the Lord over the fence. Why should the name of our Father be done away from among His family? Because He hath no Son? Give unto us therefore a possession among the brethren of our Father. The attitude was right. Their spirit was right. What they said, Moses didn't have an answer for. Moses brought their cause before the Lord. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak. These daughters had considered themselves destitute. Having neither father nor brother to inherit any land. Destitute. Without a guardian. Without a possession. Without an inheritance. It reminds me of the words of the apostle who said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so on and so forth, which in times past were not a people. That's how these young ladies felt. God, we don't have anything. We have no security. We have no possession. We have no inheritance. But what about my daddy's name? I don't believe it was the possession. I don't believe it was the inheritance. 
I don't believe it was the fact they didn't have any brothers. I believe it was the fact that they wanted to preserve the name of their father. God said, Moses, they're right. And those five women in a man's world caused God to amend his law. Moses said, okay, well, what if they have a possession amongst your people and they marry someone outside of their tribe? And God said, okay. They're not, they have to remain in the tribe. They have to marry within the tribe. They can't marry outside the tribe. They can't marry outside the people. If the name is going to be preserved, it's going to be preserved because they interceded for their inheritance and because they stayed within the tribe. They wanted to be partakers of the promise. What they had was conviction. What they possessed was a desire for the promises of God to be fulfilled in their life. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews wasn't talking about what we deserve, but rather the mercy and grace of God that's available when we come before the throne of God with the intention no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in, in our world, not the world around us, in our world, in our mind, in our spirit. God, maybe not everything's okay. Maybe I messed up. Maybe I keep falling. Maybe I keep struggling. Why should the name of my Father, my Heavenly Father, done away from among my family. Come boldly before the throne of grace where grace and mercy are poured out. Where God's mind can be persuaded. Where God can reinstitute some things into our world. Where God is not bending the rules but He's bending us and He's molding us and He's shaping us. And we say, God, I don't want to lose out on what you have for me. What do I need to do? You need to get up from where you are. You need to come before the presence of God and stand there having your loins girt about with 
truth, having the understanding that I need God to move if I'm going to be changed, if I'm going to become different, if I'm going to be what God wants me to be, I need God to move. I can't stand there in silence. I must open my mouth. They did not come with the plea because their father was without sin. They weren't denying anything. I believe it struck a chord in the heart of God to hear these daughters interceding on behalf of the name of their father. We find in 1 Samuel 12 that the people of Israel, they have already come to Samuel. They said, Samuel, we love you, but you're getting old. It's not just the fact that you're getting old, it's the fact that we don't really trust your sons to be judges. And so we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. You know the dialogue back and forth. Samuel prays. He's praying to God. I said, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So God grants them their request and gives them a king. In 1 Samuel 12 and verse 22, Samuel is talking to them about what would happen if they fall into sin. And it wouldn't be good that God would give them over and they would be affected long term. We'll go to verse 20. It says, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness. You've not been right. You've got issues. You've fallen. Fear not, you have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. They are of no use. They are vain. They are of no profit. They don't deliver you. They are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. God wants 
to have the people. And so when I come before His presence in prayer, and I begin praying for that list of souls, God, how bad do you want a people? God, I need you to move. I need you to work. I need you, Lord, to move in the lives of these men and the lives of these women. God, I need you to move in my life, not for my own will, not for my own purpose. But God, let's put all of that aside and let me begin to pray. God, let us begin to pray. Lord, I want you to do it for your name's sake. Moses got God to spare the people because Moses pleaded for God's name's sake. These five young ladies got an inheritance in a promised land where according to the original law that was written by God, by the hand of Moses, they should not have because they appealed to the Father's name's sake. God, I want you to move and maybe I should start appealing to the Father's name's sake. God, I want your promises to be fulfilled. Then let's appeal to his name's sake. God, oh, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Something begins to happen when I begin to exalt the name of Jesus. When I begin to live for the glory of the name of Jesus. Find Solomon praying. Second Chronicles 6 and verse 29. He's praying at the dedication of the temple. He says, Then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all thy people Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief? shall spread forth his hands in this house. God, when he's grieved in his spirit, and he's in the house of the Lord, he's got problems. He's got a need that needs addressing. He spreads forth his hands in this house. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place. and Forgive Render unto every man according unto all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to go, I'm sorry, to walk in thy ways so long as they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Moreover, concerning the stranger, the Gentile, the one who is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country. Why? For thy name's sake and your mighty hand, your outstretched arm, if they come and they pray in this house, or if they pray according to this manner of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost if they follow after the pattern of this house.
house God, no matter how far away they have come from, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as doth your people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. The more I read, the more I study, the more I begin to see how the plea, how the standing, the coming, and the calling of these five young ladies appealed to the heart of God because they understood, if I can do this for my earthly father, then what can God do for me if he knows I'm concerned about the name of the Father? Psalm 23, verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. More I can get the attention off of me get the attention on him the more he's able to lead me the more I'm able to intercede for the inheritance because it's not about me it's about him Psalm 25, verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. It is great. When I make up my mind, I'm going to intercede for the inheritance. I believe that we're standing on the edge of it. What's going to allow us to cross over and possess. What if it's as simple as appealing to His name's sake? God, I want to make Your name great. God, I want to pray like Solomon prayed people are going to hear about what you're doing and they'll come because of your name's sake. 
God, they will come because they know if they can bring their sorrow, if they can bring their soreness, if they can bring their grief into this house and they can lift up their voice and they can lift up their hands and they can open their hearts and they can open their mouths, if they will come, if they will stand, and if they will speak to you, then God, there is something that you can do in this place because it's a place in which your name dwells. I don't want it just to be upon the house. I want it to be upon my heart. I want it to be upon my mind. I want it to be upon my home. I want it to be upon my family. I want it. I want it to order my steps. I want it to order my thoughts. Don't want it to be about look what I did. That's my goal. It will never happen. If I am going to intercede for the inheritance. I'm done. Stand. And it's got to be what can we do to preserve the name? The name is never going to lose its importance. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be hated above all men for my name's sake. Inheritance is tied to the name. Purpose is tied to the name. Forgiveness is tied to the name. Redemption is tied to the name. Possessions tied to the name. The whole bit, everything is tied to the name. Future is tied to the name. Posterity is tied to the name. For his name's sake, blessing is tied to the name. Everything I do, I want to make God great. And if I can live my life that way, then when the tables begin to turn and the guns start facing in instead of facing out, when the pressure of the world comes upon me, I'm going to be able to look at the world and say, you can't kill me. I'm already gone. I've died to myself. I've died to my will. I've died to my plans. You're not facing off against me. You're doing it to God. I want to intercede for the inheritance. I want to be able to stand uh, in the presence of an almighty God. See, God, I want this soul to be saved. Not to say, look what I did. But God, I want them saved for your glory's sake. So the world will look at them and say, nobody else could help them. I don't want them to say, look what, what Richard Fishburne could do. I want them to look and say, look what the Lord has done. intercede for the inheritance it's got to be more than just talking about it it's 
going to be more than just gathered in behind the tent flap. Talking to my friends about how to do it. But the challenge comes as I move that tent flap out of the way. And I start walking through the midst of a congregation. Where are those women going? And the entire camp of Israel was centered around that point. And they're not walking to the outskirts, they're walking to the dead center. They've got their heads held high, not in arrogance, in faith. This is the only shot we've got. I don't just want somebody else's inheritance. I don't just want somebody else's blessing. I I want a a blessing with my daddy's name on it. Wonder what might happen these next few days as we continue praying and we continue fasting. If our prayer becomes okay, God, if fasting really is to be selfless, if it really is to, to get my flesh out of the way, and God, make your name great. God, make your name great. I wonder if we could find a place to pray tonight. And we could begin to pray. God, the atmosphere is changing. God, I want the inheritance. Nothing stays For your name's sake. For your name's sake. 